welcome back to It's a Theater Thing, the podcast made for and by theater fans. And today we've got a lot to talk about. And as usual, I am joined by my friend Aaron Carl. Hey, Aaron. Well, hello there. Hey. So today we're going to cover two topics. The first is theater backlashes. You know, there could be a really popular show out there, maybe not even a real popular show, but maybe a show with a pretty good following. And, you know, it gets word of mouth and people like it. And then eventually things get turned around. There's a little bit of a backlash. And we're going to talk about maybe the reasons why that happens and some of the shows that have been afflicted with that. Our second topic is going to be our theater regrets, the good and the bad and even the ugly. So we'll save that for a little later, but I'm excited to hear what Erin's theater regrets are, what she wish she had seen and what she wish she hadn't seen. <laughs> I, I, I have a list. <laughs> it, so do it, I. it was difficult to go over, but <laughs> it broke my heart a few times, but uh, we will we will definitely get, yeah. Get into the nitty gritties of those. Yes. And guys, if you hear a little snorting or a little barking in the background, those are my theater dogs. They just entered the room, Sunny and Sandy. And I should give you Sandy's full theater name, which is Sandy Dombrowski Danoff. So anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Stage name, resume, staple it to the headshot. We're good. That's right. So first, we're going to start out with Broadway backlashes. Now, Aaron and I were talking a little bit before the podcast started. I'm thinking these days, the show with the biggest backlash is Hamilton. It, it, it comes with the popularity. There are going to be people that hate it and are going to be very passionate about that. We were just saying you either hate it and don't want to hear anybody who likes it, or you love it and don't want to hear anything bad about it. Right. I think I'm in the camp of I love it, but people who know me know I love Hamilton. But I'm also I, I also feel like if you have a legitimate concern about the show, then that deserves to be addressed. Yes, there there are some legitimate, like you said, concerns. I guess I'm just kind of stuck in the fan, you know, like mm-hmm. seeing the message boards, seeing the Facebook updates, where it's all just stuff that can't be controlled or that has already been discussed to death. Yeah. Like the casting of people of color for actor or for real life humans that were Caucasian. Mm-hmm. That's that, I, that has been so discussed. Yes. And honestly, I love that idea because for me, it shows a representation of what this country is today. You know, it's not all white faces. It, it actually wasn't all white faces back then. <laughs> so. It just got whitewashed to make it look like it. Like mm-hmm. I before this show, I did not know that. Alexander Hamilton came from the Caribbeans. Right. There's so much I didn't know about him. Now, there are some people out there who have a legitimate concern about the history and what is actually accurate in the show. 
And there's actually a gentleman named Ishmael Reed who has written a play called The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And he basically wants to remind the viewers that you know, Hamilton really wasn't the angel that he, I mean, not that he comes off like an angel, but in, in, in Hamilton, but that he had some issues, you know, he was maybe wasn't as anti-slavery as you're led to believe, or even as pro-immigration as you're led to believe. But, you know, I think there's room for everything. I think that he has some valid points, but I also hope that people understand as Lin-Manuel has said that this is a work of historical fiction and a lot of his information he got from the Chernow book so those all those things need to be taken in consideration yeah we're not sitting in a doctoral level lecture on American history this is a a fun entertaining couple of hours it presented in a specific type of music that that gives you a little bit of history. Yeah. It's, we'll, it's kind of like watching Drunk History on uh, Comedy Central. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't get everything right, but it's entertaining. And they get enough of it right to kind of make you more intrigued. Yeah. I was just going to say, it opens the door for people. And hopefully people will be inspired to do their own research on subject matter, whether it's Hamilton or uh, any other show that, you know, any other show with historical roots, for instance, like Shuffle Along is a really fascinating story. And there's so many historical figures. I mean, UB Blake, I mean, there were so many things I didn't know about him. And I just knew him from when I was a child, seeing him on TV. And he was this nice old man that played the piano. And I didn't know what an artist he was. So I love shows like this because it does open our eyes to figures that we may not know much about. Yeah, exactly. It's it's amazing for that, opening the doors, opening people's minds. Yes. There's a lot of shows that experience this backlash. I mean, I know you had a few, didn't you? Yes. Going with a strong connection to the Hamilton, uh, I'm going to talk about The Great Comet of 1812 and Oak. Uh. Um, Oak, he already? Oh, now Dewan? I looked up his name just to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he also goes by Oak. Um, Love me some Oak. (laughs) Oh, he is so talented, and I love him in the... um, new show he's on stations 19 he's Ah. fantastic on that um but there was some backlash when he went into the role everything was fine and dandy ticket sales were doing okay less than josh groban but the show had been open for a year so it was kind of expected to happen and the promoters and the producers of the great comet were Using Oak's connection to Hamilton, you know, hey, you saw him as Hercules, now come and see him as um, Pierre. Mm-hmm. And it was this huge thing, and one day Manny Patinka oh, is seeing the show. Yeah. Yeah. He sees the show, and um, the producers approach him, like, would you ever want to come and be Pierre? And he looks at his schedule and is like, it's going to have to be this month, because I think 
I think it was Homeland that he that he was in at the time. Yes, he was. Yeah, and so he had to fl- fly back, obviously, to film that, so he couldn't, you know, commit to an eight show a week schedule in New York. And so, th- again, this is all alleged. This is all what was released to the public. We don't know for sure, you know, what went on behind the scenes. But producers approached Oak and were like, "Hey, can we?" get you out of your contract for this time frame so Mandy can come in and do the show and then you'll either come in immediately after him or you know we'll get you back in to fulfill your contract later and apparently it was agreed upon like sure I understand that works like that sounds good and then a couple days later Oak came out and kind of said it was more forced upon him and that he really didn't feel nurtured the diversity wasn't being nurtured backstage and that is from a Forbes interview that he did in 2017 mm-hmm. so with that interview then the backlash hit and Mandy backed out and you know said he had no intention of you know taking a role from a talented man to begin with and then there was also a racial element with Oak being African-American descendant and um, Mandy being Caucasian. So, you know, that added to the fire. And it took the show down, really. It mm-hmm. closed in September of 2017, never really fully recovering from that, you know, confusion and public display. Yeah, that was a real shame. Uh, I never actually got to see that show. And it was just a shame that all of that caused really the downfall of the show and you know I guess if you think about it if really good press and really good word of mouth can get a show produced like you know you look at Be More Chill who really we've talked about it before it is living because of the efforts of its fans then I guess the negative publicity can take a show down exactly yeah that's it kind of surprises me how quickly that that can happen mm-hmm. how quickly producers are ready to just fold and leave right yeah it, it's a shame but i think there were some money issues as well so if you combine the money issues with the bad publicity then that's it, it wasn't a, yeah it was a very expensive show um to put on mm-hmm And so, yeah, if they weren't making enough, then they were losing so much. And yeah, and like I said, it it had run over a year, which by Broadway standards is a really good run if you can make it past the year mark. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's kind of a good sign. Like, okay, we did something right here. Yes. Well, you know, another super successful show that has gotten a little bit of backlash, not as much as some others, is Dear Evan Hansen. And I was actually really surprised to hear about this. But, you know, in doing a little bit of research, I realized why some people might have an issue with it. There is a very interesting article on Slate.com, and it's called Dear Evan Hansen, You Are a Creep. <laughs> and, it's, yeah, and it's written by Jason Zinneman, and it really talks about how You know, they make Evan to be such a sympathetic character when in reality he's doing this really kind of creepy thing and he's really become, you know, 
become sort of the embodiment of the whole fake news thing that we hear about so much today. And one of the commentaries in this article is that not many critics have zeroed in on that. And, you know, also the creators didn't really emphasize it very much. So I could see for people who are particularly sensitive about that subject matter, where it would be a problem for them. I guess when I saw the show, I felt you know, a lot of sympathy for Evan, because obviously this is a troubled young man. I think the difference between actual fake news <laughs> and mm-hmm. what Evan does in the show is that Evan doesn't have, like, he's not trying to be evil about it. He's His motivations are not malicious. He's hoping to help the parents of this young boy that just killed himself. Whereas some of the fake news, you know, sorry, (laughs) some of it is just malicious. I, yeah, I agree. And I think maybe that's why some critics didn't zero in on that particularly. They were just seeing the more sympathetic side, the, the anxiety disorder, the being of a split family, you know, and having trouble making friends. So they were more sympathetic to him when he did, you know, just come up with this concept of like, hey, I'm I'm just going to, you know, spread this news that is not 100% true. And it just kind of blew up in his face. And I remember at the uh, at Broadway Con, at, when they had the spotlight panel on the main stage, I forget now which writer said it, but he said basically this happened to him in college. Mm. Like he, this is where he kind of got the idea of the little brainstorming um, because somebody committed suicide on his college. And he thought about like, what if I just tell everybody that we were friends? Like, because it was kind of a loner person that did it. And, you know, there wasn't really a memorial set up and he did kind of feel like he didn't want that person to be forgotten. Right. Right which is the stronger message of the show. Right. The only issue, I mean, if, for me, if there's any kind of backlash with the show, I, I don't have a problem with its success. I don't have a problem even with some of the people who have some issues with it. The only issue I have with it is I always felt that the ending was a little problematic. I felt it was a little too clean and a little too easy. And I don't know that it would be that easy in real life. It it did wrap it up in a nice little bow. Yeah. Yes. Um, And yeah, that's not real life. Yes. But I think most of the backlash I hear about Evan Hansen has more to do with plot points of the show, not so much to do with the success of the show. You know, I think if you take something like a Hamilton, or for that matter, even take like a Cats or a Phantom of the Opera, something that has like mega, mega success, sometimes I feel like people just dislike the show because they're so successful. And it's like, oh, that again. Okay. (laughs) You know, it's like they get yeah. tired of the hype. There, Yeah, there is this uh, group within theater fans that, oh, you're young and you only like Wicked? 
hmm, okay, kid, you know, and, mm-hmm. and are very dismissive. Mm-hmm. And I think they people forget you got to start somewhere. And mm-hmm. it really honestly doesn't matter as long as you're part of the community and you're supporting theater. Right. And, you know, if you take a show that it's super successful, that can only help the theater community. Yeah, exactly. I mean, take a look at Hamilton. It's raised so much money in so many communities, and it kind of, you know, now they're going to have an In the Heights movie. Yes, yes. So that, it just brings Lynn's work, you know, from his past back to relevance, and I I completely agree, yeah. Yeah. So are there any other shows you can think of that have this backlash problem? (laughs) Well, the only backlash other story that I wanted to add to was uh, a couple years ago, Theater City Rapids was doing a production of Tribes, which um, basically the story of Tribes is it's set in England, and it is a family, and they have two sons and one daughter, and one of the sons is deaf. His name is Billy. And it's basically how they interact with him, how they react to his actions, and it's very much about deaf culture. And Theater City Rapids decided to cast a hearing person as both Billy and his girlfriend, Sylvia. Mm. So, and the way the play is written is... The writer knew that maybe finding a deaf actor would not be the easiest for, you know, local communities. And so she even wrote it as if it could, Billy could be male or female. And there have been many productions where it has been both. So, yeah, so Theater City Rapids, um, heard, heard the backlash. This is a good story. They heard the backlash. They heard the complaints. They saw the concern. And they actually had a town hall meeting and with the deaf community in Ohio and were like, this is, you know, like, w- what can we do? What is the next step? And um, they still have not done a production of Tribes, but from what I've heard, they have seriously taken those next steps and, you know, to incorporate more access to the deaf community. Well, I hope they can get a production up and running. I know that's I'm I'm kind of keeping my eyes peeled, but that was back in 2016. So I think maybe it's either on the back burner or they're just going to wait a few more, you know, and put it in a couple of seasons out still. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm keeping my eyes out. I, I saw a local production of Tribes here in St. Louis, and that was just stunning. And they actually got a Broadway level deaf talent actor with Miles Barbary. Awesome. Yeah, so that was cool to see him again. I saw him in uh, Spring Awakening, the revival. So, yeah, to see him take on Billy was amazing. Very cool. Well, I guess as long as there's popular shows, there's always going to be some sort of backlash. And I think, I hate to say it, it's probably worse now than it's ever been because of the Internet. It just expands. Any news is just going to get out there and expand yeah yeah it's sad <laughs> how how quickly how quickly it, it it hits and makes good shows fall yes <laughs> 
So I guess, you know, we just have to wait and see what the next big thing is going to be. <laughs> yeah. Keep, and, keep your eyes peeled on onstage blog there because yes. uh, our editor, Chris, loves to uh, get these stories out there. Yes. Yes. And, and we'll be hearing whatever backlash may come our way. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Now, this next segment is something I've been really looking forward to. I think it's going to be really fun. I don't know. We we may make you guys mad. I hope not. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Getting ready. Getting ready. Yes. <laughs> but we're going to talk about our theater regrets. Basically, what do we regret not seeing? What do we regret seeing? <laughs> and, you know... What do we really regret seeing? Like, is there something that is just like, oh, never again? Um, <laughs> so, so yes. let's start with the good. Erin, um, we'll start with you. What What are some of your, the ones that you wish you had seen? Okay. Well, I had a horrible situation a couple years ago. I had booked a beautiful trip to New York. I was going to see How to Succeed in Business with Daniel Radcliffe. I was going to see the closing weekend show of American Idiot. I don't think it was closing night per se, but it was like that Saturday matinee. Mm -hmm. And I had a few other shows booked. And I suffered kidney stone. So (laughs) I was admitted to the hospital. It, It was bad. And so I missed out on these shows. And luckily, I saw American Idiot on tour, Mm -hmm. but I've never seen How to Succeed in Business. Mm. So those are my, like, two really big regrets. Um, Another one that I regret missing out on Broadway is Spring Awakening. Uh. I've never seen it besides the revival. I've never seen it in a Broadway theater. I was in town during the uh, original run, but my friend, I kind of gave her a little synopsis of the show, and she did not think that German school children running around and then singing punk songs would be entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) So we tried tried for Legally Blonde, but they were not running that night, and so we just, like, kind of walked around, and I think we saw a movie. Uh, well, I have to say I did see that first run, and I saw more of Leah Michelle than I'd ever thought I'd see. <laughs> I know that's such a shock to people that there's that there's nudity in the show. It's, it, it it amazes me every time I see it. Uh, you know, all these different productions and all the people that just get so shocked. And a lot of the cast actually have this game on who's not coming back for Act Two. Ah, wow. Yeah, well, you know, that happens. Yep, yep. So um, what are some of the shows that you regret missing out on? Oh, my gosh, I have a few. Okay. One of my number one shows that I'm sorry I didn't see was Patti LuPone starring in Gypsy. Oh, yeah. I don't know what I was thinking, why I didn't go get a ticket, but I just didn't. And I was so sorry to have missed out on that because you know she was fabulous in that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's some, some, you know, productions I think, why didn't I get to see that? I mean, it's hard when you don't live in New York, but, um, you know, I'm close enough where if it's something really important to me, I can make it happen. So I'm not really sure why I didn't see this one, but that is a huge regret of mine. Another huge regret is the revival of Ragtime. Now, I saw the original cast of Ragtime. Ragtime was actually the third show I ever saw on Broadway. And yeah, yeah. My first was Phantom. (laughs) And my my second was Rent. And Ragtime was my third. And I, to this day... I love that show so much. In fact, a friend was posting about it because he just saw, I believe, the production in Georgia that's going on right now, which sounds like a really interesting production. And we were just talking about what an amazing show it is. It really is one of my all-time favorite shows. And it's a shame it's not running today because it's also incredibly relevant. And the score is just gorgeous. I think it's probably the best score that Aaron's and Flaherty have ever written. And in this 2009 revival, Quentin Earl Darrington played Cole House. And I am so sorry I missed him because Honestly, he sings like an angel. I, I actually told him that one time. <laughs> nice. I was like, you sing like an yeah. angel. <laughs> and, and instead of looking it at works. me like I was, you know, out of my mind, he was actually incredibly kind. <laughs> he was so sweet. Um, I got to meet him at the 54 Below 30th anniversary concert for Aaron's and Flaherty and he sang there and he oh, he was just spectacular and so so kind um, the, he, there are sometimes you're just so shocked you're like I can't come up with words on how awesome that just was oh yeah yeah I've, I've been in that situation many times don't uh, don't ask me about the time I met Barbara Cook I couldn't talk let's just put it that way I just couldn't talk and and, she, and again, and she did look at me like there was something wrong with me. <laughs> and you know what? I don't blame her one bit. <laughs> it's it's probably really interesting to be on the other side of that. Just have somebody come up and be like, "Oh my God, you're so awesome!" And right. like, how would you react to that? Like, yes, exactly. the The thing about this revival. Is it actually started out in the D.C. area and it was at the Kennedy Center and I had tickets to it and my husband got sick. And so we did not go. And I was so sad because there's this local actress who was in this production of Ragtime. Her name is Donna Migliaccio. And she's really well known in the area and really just amazing in everything she's ever done. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing her do a bad job. (laughs) And she played Emma Goldman in this revival. And unfortunately, never got to see her in it either. So I was sorry to miss that one. Now, this this was a double disappointment for me. (laughs) When I saw In the Heights on Broadway, Lynn was out. And I did get to see Javier, who was wonderful, but I had never seen Lynn in anything before. So that was a little sad for me to miss out on seeing him in that role. The show's fabulous. It didn't matter. Right. right. Yeah. And Javi is amazing. Yes. And yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, he was he was fabulous and, you know, did not disappoint. Then a few years ago, they did a production of In the Heights at Only Theater here in the D.C. area. And it starred uh, Robin de Jesus. And I again, I had tickets. And again, I don't even remember which one of us got sick. And I ended up giving the tickets to to uh, a friend of mine, and I did not get to go. And from what I understand, he gave a spectacular performance. So oh, yeah. that, that's a huge regret for me, not seeing oh, that. To be um, so close yet so far away. I know, I know. It was so sad. And then finally, Michael Crawford and Phantom. I just, I would have loved to have seen him in Phantom. I was a little young when that came out. I, I probably, I guess I could have gone on my own back then. I think when that show came out, I was maybe about 18 or 19 years old. So, you know, I I wasn't that brave, 18 or 19, <laughs> to go to New York on my own. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's, that's yeah. A, a smart idea, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and also back then, Times Square was a little different. <laughs> again, yes, again, yeah, safety yeah. safety first, children, safety first. Yes, exactly. So I never did get to see him in Phantom, which was sad for me. Yeah. So, okay, so here's, I think this is the part that's actually going to make people mad. <laughs> Let's hope not. Don't be mad at us, please. please. At least I think you guys, you guys are going to be mad at me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but what is? What are your bad regrets? What are the things that you've seen that you're like, oh gosh, why did I spend my money on that? Okay, so there are two that I cannot believe I didn't walk out on. Okay, I've never, I've never left. I've always seen the show all the way through. But some that gave me concerns were, and this goes back to the movie turn stage, ah. Dirty Dancing on Tour. Oh. Dirty yeah. Dancing the Musical. Yeah. Um, it, it toured through St. Louis, and I it was part of my season ticket, so I, I went and saw it. And ha- like at the intermission, I'm just sitting there flabbergasted, like, what is going on? The lighting was weird. The way they had these sheer curtains that they would put up, like if they were going through the woods or something. And that's how they did the iconic lake jump and leap. Uh-huh. Like when they were practicing. They, um, they Yeah, they, they just lowered a curtain and had, I'm, I'm assuming they were standing on mats because they fell. So, yeah, it just looked so fake my my suspension of disbelief did not go that far mm-hmm. and then i yeah by the end like half of the audience had already left like as soon as the stage lights came on because everybody was waiting for the big finale oh. and as soon as they did the lift in the big finale everybody cheered everybody clapped but then we knew it was over so everybody started to their cars before the curtain call and I just sat there. I waited till the end of uh, until the end of curtain call, and then I left because I was just like, "Oh my god, that was that did not need to happen." <laughs> and it wasn't like the cast was talented mm-hmm. and everything. It wasn't like the dancing was bad or anything like that. It was just 
why why this story <laughs> like <laughs> it it does not it does not transfer at all not all movies do yeah agreed and that's and that's why i always accept that not all movies would be a good transfer but there are some that i love like i thought mean girls was okay here's another one i thought mean girls was okay but mm-hmm. i don't think it lived up to the hype because the audience that i was sitting in there with as soon as they said the movie line that got all the cheers but they were like the newer songs and the um you know the the new staging and everything that didn't get as much love. Mm-hmm. So it was really it was really kind of taking me out of the situation. It was really weird. Now I liked it and I think it's cute and I think some of the songs are amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's another one where I could tell Tina Fey had her thumb on her thumbprint all over it, fixing it, making sure it looked good for the stage. Yeah, I saw it in DC, and I have to agree with everything you said. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it has its wonderful moments, but when all you're doing is waiting for uh, Damien to say she doesn't even go here, like that <laughs> that kind of ruins it a little bit. Yeah, and then yeah. he takes he he has a different take from the movie Damien, mm-hmm. so it didn't even hit the same. Mm-hmm. As as I was expecting, I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting take on how to say that line." So, yeah. um, my my second one that I regret seeing, and this is a tour that came through the Muni here in St. Louis, which the Muni does not take tours through often. Like I think this had been the first one in like fifty years. Mm-hmm. So it was a real shock, and so people were kind of like intrigued to go and see it, it was Porky and Bess. Oh, really? That that surprises me a lot. It was a beautiful score. The cast was amazingly talented because, like I said, it was the the first national tour of this. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of the Broadway veterans. There was a lot of, you know, the staging was so weird because the Muni stage is ginormous. Mm. And this felt like a very intimate set what the cast was used to so they were taking long stretches trying to walk across the stage to get back to the door that they had to exit or where he was coming in from on this side so that kind of distracted me and then it was much much longer than most muni shows Mm -hmm. and it was outdoors in the middle of summer here in st louis oh so I think it was the combination of all three. Maybe if I saw it in a nice, cool, air-conditioned, small theater, it would yeah. feel different. But I was just itching to leave as soon as intermission hit. Like, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes just the size of the theater or the way that the show is staged makes all the difference in the world. Exactly, yeah. And this is the Muni, for those who don't know, is America's largest outdoor theater, 12,000 seats. Mm. So it's it's a big house to play. That's a shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, I think sometimes with these, with these bigger theaters, they don't consider, can the show actually fit the stage? Right, yeah. It's and And the Muni, like, the big important seats are not down front. They're mm-hmm. the free seats that are the back 20 rows. Mm. Those are who they the cast play to 90% of the time. Oh, wow. Like, there, there's literal jokes, like, during um, 
Jesus Christ Superstar about, you know, Jesus came from the free seats oh, and gosh. walked and walked down. And like, as he got closer, he was like, oh, no, no, I don't want your money. No, no. You know, <laughs> as I got to the to the hundred dollar seats to the two hundred dollar seats up front, you know, <laughs> So that was that was just that was an amazing production. And so I know it can work. And so that's kind of what irked me and kind of stuck out about Porky and Bess mm-hmm. was like, this isn't yeah, this isn't right. Yeah. So do you have any others? Um, no, those are my big two. I okay. I have shows that are not my favorite, but those were like the only two that like I could not would not go through again. Right. Well, this is really sad, but as you've been talking, it's just reminded me of other shows that I've hated. (laughs) So my list is longer than it was originally. (laughs) All right, let's dive in here. What do we got? What do we got? Okay. All right, guys, don't be too mad at me. But my first one is Be More Chill. You know, when, when I was making the decision of what shows to see, I thought, okay, this is going to be the hot new show. I always try and see shows that are getting a lot of buzz because you never know what they'll turn out to be. So I thought, okay, let's see this one. And as I've said before, did not appeal to me at all. And all I could think about that weekend was I could have gone to see to kill a mockingbird or, or, oh. or, or network or something else. I was, Both I would recommend. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was super disappointed in that. And I, as I said in other episodes, I'm really happy that it's found an audience that an audience is just not me. The songwriting doesn't appeal to me. I do think some of the performances are very good. I don't think the book is really all that good. It's, just not my cup of tea, but per- personal taste, and that's all theater taste. is. Yeah, yes. yes, personal taste. So that's number one. Second one, <laughs> again, people are going to be mad at me. <laughs> although, although I have a few friends. Um, hi, Ken. Hi, Keith. <laughs> who are going to agree <laughs> with me here? And my husband. Hi, Ed. Um, <laughs> you're all going to agree with me. The band's visit. I know people love that show, and I was like, what the heck was that? Like, that had to be one of the most boring shows I've ever seen in my life. It's it's on my season for next season at the Fox Theater here in St. Louis, so I'm I'm intrigued. Ah. I'm, because I've, I've heard you talk about it and, and your dislike for it, and then I've also heard the good stuff about it. You know the the reviews and whatnot. You know other people. So I'm 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 intrigued to to feel you know to get my own opinion of this mixed show that's coming in. Yes, and I'm sorry if you guys can hear my dog barking. She probably saw a squirrel outside or something. So squirrel, <laughs> squirrel, that. squirrel. Yes, yes. <laughs> and my husband felt the same way. We sat through this show, and don't get me wrong, I think that the the performances were wonderful. I just think the book was so slow. I mean, the direction was slow, but the book was just so uneventful. And I thought the music was fine. I didn't think it was anything extraordinary. And I remember getting up out of my seat and this woman across the aisle for me was like, that was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And she's got tears in her eyes. And I look at my husband and we're just kind of like, 
beautiful. So for me, the price of the ticket was worth it. But oy, that show. Ugh. It, it, it was just bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I have not even heard of this show. So I can, yeah, that, yes. that kind of leads me to believe that there were some troubles. Yes. So we've had the good. We've had the bad. Now let's go to the ugly. Do you have any ugly? No uglies. Just, oh. yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm really, really just happy just to see a show. And I'm trying to be an optimistic and positive person. And even if I didn't uh, really like it, I'm just like, they did the thing. Yes. Well, and I get that. I get that. But, you know, I guess I'm just becoming a mean old woman. So... (laughs) But again, this is personal taste. Yeah, you can have shows that you really hate. I also haven't seen a ton. I've seen a lot, but I haven't seen a ton. Right, right. Well, I have two. Okay. (laughs) Maybe that tells you more about me than it does about the show, but... um... (laughs) Racing for impact. What's going on? Okay. The first one I saw in Las Vegas, We Will Rock You, which was a... It was a jukebox musical using the music of Queen, which I love. I love the music of Queen. The show itself was one of the silliest, worst produced shows I had ever seen in my whole life. It was basically this post-apocalyptic story where people from the future are trying to survive and they decide to take on they they find i don't even remember it's been so long but they they somehow find names of old pop stars and they take on the personas of the pop stars but they don't really know who these pop stars are so like one of the guys is like i'm gonna take on the name britney spears you know so you know it was just silly and terribly produced I mean, they, I mean, the music sounded nice, you know, it was, they performed the music well, but it was, I, I can't, to be honest, it wasn't much of a story. It was just bad. Um, I have seen the touring production of that. Okay. So I don't know if we saw the same cast or if we saw, yeah, but I actually really enjoyed it because I love Queen. And uh-huh. so just to hear the songs and then performed in a different way uh-huh. I, I kind of like that but I do completely agree there is very minimal storyline yes it's it basically is just like okay get us to where we can start the next song yes um yes. and it, it is very futuristic it's very sci-fi so yes. yeah I, I can totally see where people would not appreciate yeah that that was definitely not for me uh, the second thing, and I know this show has its fans, and to be fair, I've actually only seen it in the movie theater, but uh, Love Never Dies. I just thought, first of all, why? <laughs> why do, do, do we really need a sequel to Phantom of the Opera? I mean, is it really necessary? No. No. Um, no. My- yeah, my sister and I saw that on tour. It, it was touring again around uh, St. Louis. And when we left, it was basically just like, all right, Christine turned into a whiny little girl. Yeah. And the Phantom turned into the good guy. And yeah. Raul 
turned into this drunkard addict? Like, Gambling, wait, what is, yeah. Yeah, what is going on here? Yeah, and, you know, there were the two major plot points that I really had an issue with. The first being that Christine apparently loved the Phantom all along. Why didn't she just stay with him instead of going through all all that craziness like you know that's a that's a lot of effort to exert to get away from someone if you you know especially if you really want to be with them Mm -hmm. and i thought it was odd that they that he you know pops up in the united states and the thing is she's so in love with him it's like have we not forgotten the original phantom he has killed people (laughs) He's wanted for murder in Paris. Come on, people. Right. Have you forgotten that? I mean, they make him out to be the good guy in this. Where, I mean, in Phantom, he's tortured. And you do feel a little bit of sympathy for him because of what he's gone through. But, But let's not forget that... You know, he did some pretty awful things. <laughs> so, Correct. Yes. yes. So that's number one. And number two, sorry, guys, I'm going to say it right now. Spoiler alert. So turn your volume down if you don't want to know this. And I don't know if this happened in the tour that you saw, Aaron. But in the production that I saw in the movie theater, at the very end, Christine gets shot and she's lying on the ground, bleeding, and she's still singing. And it was the most ridiculous image that I have seen in a long time. I'm I'm trying to remember. I know there was a little time after she got shot, but I think she went down pretty quickly. Then then there was Raul comes in um, with okay. their son. Maybe they've changed it. They yeah. they could have changed it, but the production that we saw, she's lying on the ground, you know bleeding or whatever and she's still singing it's like really i'm sorry if i'm bleeding on the ground i think the last thing i'd be doing is singing but hey that's just me right (laughs) yeah yeah that that doesn't that i kind of think they did have to change that up because that just sounds too unrealistic yeah it, it was pretty bad i mean you know not that everything is realistic in theater it it just was schlocky and yeah there's a line. There's a line of suspension of disbelief. And if you cross it, then it just becomes absurd. And you're like, what is going on here? Right. Oh, my goodness. So those are our good, our bad, and our ugly theater regrets. If you have any theater regrets you'd like to share with us, feel free to email us at theaterthing at gmail.com. So now we're going to move on to our regular segment, Beyond the Board. Basically... In Beyond the Boards, we talk about things that are Broadway adjacent. It could be a movie coming out or a book coming out or a special event that has to do with Broadway or uh, theater performers. So, Erin, what do you have for us this time? I have two wonderful artists that are uh, having little shows around the country. So, Taylor Laudeman currently Regina George in Mean Girls on Broadway, is a uh, St. Louis uh, native, and she is returning to play at the Sheldon Concert Hall on May 20th. That's coming up this Monday. And it is called The Power of Theater. It is a night to support the Ozark Actors Theater. 
Um, you can get tickets at ozarkactortheater.org. Awesome. And uh, next we have Aaron Teve. He is going to be at Webster Hall in New York City on May 29th and with a full band. So it should be a really, really good show. And uh, you can look for show and ticket information at WebsterHall.com. Very cool. Well, I found a lot going on. First of all, if you follow us on Facebook, you probably saw that we posted the trailer for the new movie about Judy Garland, which is called Judy. It oh, I can't so wait good, for guys. Our, I can't wait for our episode to debate Judy versus Gwen. <laughs> Michelle versus Renee. The- yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you could. We could probably debate Michelle versus Renee. I don't know if you can debate Gwen versus Judy only because they were so different in what they did. But yeah. definitely well, Michelle versus Renee and how their portrayal. You know how good each portrayal yeah. was. Yeah, Renee, all four legends in their field. That definitely, definitely, yes. Renee Zellweger is playing Judy Garland in her later years. It looks amazing. And the movie is coming out on September 27th. And if you want to catch the trailer, if you haven't seen it yet, you can find it on our Facebook page at It's a Theater Thing. Or you can find it on YouTube. Just do a search. It's there. So it's it's really cool. So I definitely encourage everyone to take a look. The next bit of information also comes out of New York. And basically, I have mixed feelings about this, guys, because even though Aaron is pretty cool with the whole movie to Broadway show thing, I have mixed feelings about that. I don't have an issue with every one of those shows, but I just feel like there are too many right now. I need a break from that. I would like to see something more original. It Um, is becoming a trend. I do agree with that. Yes. And apparently there's going to be a Mrs. Doubtfire musical. They're going to be doing a reading on May 16th and 17th. And it looks like this is actually just open to industry folks. But it's certainly got a good cast. It's going to feature Rob McClure, Kate Baldwin, and Mario Cantone. So... That's, those people have pretty good pedigrees. So, if, you know. if anybody can take on Robin Williams, it's Rob McClure. So, oh yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and intrigued. Yes, and I can actually see Kate Baldwin in that role of you know of the mother of his ex-wife. So I I can definitely see that working. I I just would love to see them do something a little different. But hey, you know. <laughs> Leaving one Broadway show on their off day, music music movie to the, you know, yeah, to do another workshop. The interesting thing is the creative team is the same creative team that collaborated on Something Rotten. So you have a book by John O'Farrell and uh, Carrie Kirkpatrick. And Carrie and his brother Wayne Kirkpatrick wrote the score. So... You know, I really enjoyed Something Rotten, so maybe maybe this one has some potential. We'll see. And Jerry Zaks is going to direct, so you can't, you know, you can't go wrong with him either. So we'll see how that one turns out. It's shaping up. That's, that's a pretty good team. Yes. So our next bit of news is 
June 3rd, there'll be a benefit for Covenant House, and it's called A Night of Broadway Stars. And if you're familiar with Covenant House, it provides services and shelter to homeless teens. Audra McDonald has been a huge supporter of Covenant House for some time now. And this will be a gala to honor Rachel Brosnahan from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She's going to be receiving the Beacon of Hope Award in recognition for her work advocating for millions of young people facing homelessness. And it's going to take place at the Frederick P. Rose Hall at Jazz at Lincoln Center. The event is also going to honor Jim Burke, who is a longtime supporter of Covenant House, and Doug Blagden, who is a member of Covenant House's Board of Directors. There will be a cocktail hour, and that will be followed by a performance starting at 8 p.m. And the concert will be directed by Jeff Calhoun, and it's going to be hosted by uh, John Dickerson of 60 Minutes. The show will feature Broadway performers that include Audrey McDonald, Kapetha Jenkins, Tony Shalhoub, Eric Bergen, Adrian Warren, Caitlin Kanunen, Celia Keenan-Bolger, Laura Osnes, Teal Wicks, Gavin Lee, Michael James Scott, Angela Grovey, and Shoshana Bean, and also members of the cast of Ain't Too Proud and Broadway Inspirational Voices. For tickets and information, you can visit nightofbroadwaystarsnyc.org. That sounds amazing. Yes. I mean, what a talented group they're going to have that night and for such a good cause. Exactly. Yes. So finally, we leave you guys on a sad note. On April 14th, Alan Wasser of Alan Wasser Associates and Foresight Theatrical passed away. And several marquees in the Broadway district will be dimming their lights on May 20th at 7.45 p.m. The lights will be dimmed for a full minute. And if you're not familiar with Mr. Wasser, he was a founder and chairman of Alan Wasser Associates. During his career, he worked in general management, tour marketing, and booking. He also created Foresight Theatrical, which provided services such as producing, general managing, press, and also booking. And the Tony Awards Administration Committee presented Mr. Wasser the Tony Honor for Excellence in the Theater in 2017. Some of Mr. Wasser's Broadway credits include Mary Poppins, Seussical, Kinky Boots, Spider-Man, and Grey Gardens. So it's great that the theater community will be honoring Mr. Wasser for all his contributions. It's such an amazing tradition, the demean of the Marquis. I love it. Yes, it really is. Such a great sign of respect. So that's it for this episode of It's a Theater Thing. Thanks so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you. And if you have any suggestions or you would like to actually be a guest on It's a Theater Thing, feel free to send us an email at theaterthing at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook on It's a Theater Thing. And our Twitter handle is at theaterthing. So have a great week, and we will talk to you guys soon. Bye!